Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Hey, let's just uh, bow our hearts, bow our heads, ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for just what today means to us. Lord, Resurrection Sunday. Lord, we are, our hope is in you. Our hope is in heaven. And you've given us confidence in this hope that by raising from the dead, conquering sin and death, that you can make such a promise to us that though we may die, we will live forever. Lord, what a, what a promise, Lord. And we have confidence in it. So, Lord, we thank you for that. I thank you for everyone here that has come today. And, Lord, we want to hear from you. Um, some may have come to hear from an ex-pro boxer. Probably not. But, Lord, um, we come to hear from you. So we ask you to soften our hearts and give us ears to hear as I share my story and, and, and some of your word, Lord. Um, I just pray that it would be planted deep in the hearts, deep in our hearts, and produce fruit in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, guys, so yeah, um, really happy to be here, really excited to be here. Um, uh, the message I'm going to share with you today is some of my story, some of my testimony, um, some about that boxing match, and I called this message, I've entitled it, The Great Comeback, and uh, you're going to see why I've entitled it that as we go, but today, we celebrate the greatest comeback in eternity, <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, proving that he, he is who he said he was, right, and he's done what he said he was going to do, so we are, have much to celebrate. Uh, also pretty excited, have my, uh, my first and only book for pre-sale here today. It's, it's my autobiography. I've been working on it for 10 years. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's my life work. I've put more into it than anything else, more blood, sweat, and tears than any boxing match I've had, and that's saying a lot coming from me. But, um, but it's also called The Great Comeback, so uh, I'd, I'd Really appreciate you guys' support in that. I'll be out front afterwards to talk to you about that. Had some people ask me earlier, are you on Facebook and Instagram and that kind of stuff? And yes, uh, I am a social media guy, so if you are as well, praise the Lord. If not, it's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, I love the Bible. Anybody else? <laughs> the Bible is God's word, inerrant. You know, it's, 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 it's all we need to be built up in righteousness for the work of the Lord. And, and I love the Bible. And through the years, I've had opportunity to sign boxing gloves and sign pictures. And, you know, and I like to sometimes put a verse under there. And one of my favorite verses to put is Proverbs twenty four sixteen. I love this verse. But the first half of it gives me some concern. <laughs> it says, Though a righteous man may fall seven times. I don't like that. You know, as an you know, ex-pro boxer, the last thing I want to do is fall, right? That's bad, you know. None of us like getting knocked down, do we? But, you know, honestly, if we're completely honest about the situation, if you look through the scriptures, you see that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're exempt, tragedy, tragedy trials, temptation, and testing. You're not. 
In fact, Jesus guaranteed it all for his followers. And the truth is, when you became a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, you didn't board a cruise ship, you boarded a battleship, right? You boarded a battleship. We have a, there's a war we're in as Christians. We are, it's this cosmic war between good and evil. And Paul wrote about it. He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle going on. Now, the good news is this. It's not our battle, right? It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. The battle is the Lord's. And we can share in his victory by walking with and abiding in him. We share in his victory that he's already won. But here, you know, it says, though a righteous man may fall seven times. Now, that's, that's a little disheartening, but I love the next half. It says, he will get up. Yes. Say, look at your neighbor and say, you will get up. You your other neighbor and say it again. You will get up. That's okay for, you know, Easter Sunday, I guess. <laughs> Truth is, look. As a Christian, we may get knocked down, but we are never knocked out. We're never out. You know, and, I, and you may feel knocked down even right now. I was thinking yesterday, on the way here, you know, I, I've really never shared this message on Easter Sunday. And, uh, and it got me thinking about the apostles the night before the resurrection. They, you know, they hadn't read that chapter yet, you know. <laughs> They should have known better. Jesus told them what he was going to do, but they, was, you know, they, they were blind to it. They, they let their circumstances distort truth. We often do that. We get in these bad situations. Oh, nobody cares about me. God doesn't even love me. And you know better than that intellectually, but you know, circumstances can distort our perspective. But these apostles, you know, the, the night you know, Jesus had been in the grave two days, and, uh, and, and I'm sure they were really bummed out. Their leader, they had given everything for, they were following him, and, and now he's gone. And I bet they felt really alone. And maybe you feel like they did a little bit, even today. And I, I realized yesterday, just flying here and thinking about this, tragedy and hardship and struggle don't care that today's Easter, right? So they're not like, oh, you know, we're going to take a break. It's Easter. Let's just lay off and let them have a good sun. No, it doesn't work that way. In fact, I would, I would suggest that Satan, the demonic realm, opposition against us increases their efforts when, when it is Easter Sunday or, you know, or a special time of year or Christmas or something like that. I find that the, the spiritual attack increases the intensity in those moments. So you may be on the mat this morning. You may be having marital problems this morning. <laughs> yeah, be honest, man, it's, it's just the way it is. D- depression doesn't care that it's Easter. Anxiety doesn't care, does it, right? You know, hardship doesn't care. Easter, so what? I'm coming, you know? So you might be on the mat right now. I want to encourage you. I believe the one true and living God has a great comeback in store for you. A great comeback to get off the mat and to come back for your good and his glory. I believe that. Um, What does it take to reach our comeback? Because God has one in store for each of you. We all need to come back in one area of our life or another. You know, and what does it take to reach that? Well, God used my boxing career to 
reveal his word to me and demonstrate his word to me in a powerful, very relatable way in my life. And God used boxing in that way through my career. Now, some people have a hard time. (laughs) Some people have a hard time with boxing and ministry being connected. But I must remind you, the Apostle Paul was a boxing fan. He was. You know, boxing began uh, 3,000 years ago in Rome. By the time Paul made it to Rome, Rome was the mecca for boxing in the world. Boxing was a worldwide sport, and uh, Rome was the headquarters of it. And Paul would liken often our spiritual walk to that of a boxing match. That's why he told young Timothy, hey, young Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. You may remember he also said, I don't punch the air as a boxer shadow boxes, but I live life with intention and purpose. So he's likening our spiritual walk to that of a boxing match. And, you know, um, if Paul can do that, you know, he's a boxing fan. I believe, you know, God can definitely um, uh, meet us where we're at. You know, he can meet us on a football field like he did for Tim Tebow. He can meet me in a boxing ring. He can meet you in your office or at your home, whatever, you know, right? So in this boxing match, the one you just saw the clip of, God did a great work in that fight. I want to share some of it with you this morning. Um, about a year before that fight, I had been out of boxing for three years. Um, God brought an end to my career. Pride crept into my life, and God brought my career to an end. And, and I, uh, I began running from God. And uh, into 2003, uh, I had a burning bush moment, and uh, I, 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 God called me back to himself, saved me, radically saved me, and in calling me to himself, called me back into boxing. And... Um, so, so into 2003, I know I'm going to fight again at some point, and I, I really hadn't watched boxing because it kind of hurt, you know, being that it was over for me. But now, hey, I'm going to watch some boxing. So I caught one boxing match at the end of 2003. And that boxing match was between a guy named Angel Manfredi, whom I had heard of, and Courtney Burton, who I knew nothing about. And I thought Angel was going to demolish Courtney, but I watched Courtney walk through Angel like a wet paper bag, right? It's a fun illustration. But, um, <laughs> I guess, but, but, um, but I watched that fight and I cried out to God and said, Lord God, if I ever fight again, don't make me fight that guy. So a few months later, God called me back into the ring. I had my pro debut January, 2004, six fights later, end of two, 10 months later, end of 2004, um, I was going uh, going to get back in the ring, and Showtime called us. They called us at our home in Atlanta. I said, hey, guys, you've got our attention. We see Ebo's back. We want him to fight on Showtime. Uh, he, you know, he's exciting to watch. He throws lots of punches, and mostly because he bleeds a lot, and we like that. It's good for boxing TV. <laughs> so, but look, at this moment in my life, in my career, I knew what God was calling me to. I knew God was calling to me something me to something much bigger than me, much outside of my abilities. And I want you to know something. God is calling you to a life bigger than you. He is. Every one of us, God's called us to something bigger than us so that he'll receive the glory for it. And at that moment, I knew that we were to fight the toughest fight we could get in the world. So we told Showtime, 
Go to the champion. You challenge him for us. If he won't take the fight, go to the next guy. If he won't take it, go to the next guy, and so on, until you get us the toughest fight you can get us. Now, they love the sound of that, right? That's good for, good for boxing TV. So they go to the champion, and we hadn't earned that fight yet. And the next uh, three guys, we hadn't quite earned that fight, but they got to the number four-ranked guy in the world, Courtney Burton. And he accepted the fight. And I remember, man, I remember when I heard that Courtney Burton accepted that fight. The guy that I cried out to God, don't make me fight that guy. <coughs> God was making me fight that guy. Why would he do that, you know? Why would he make me fight the guy I was afraid to fight? You know, I, I'm confident the Lord wants us to face our greatest fears. But to do it, knowing he is faithful, knowing he is able, and watching him prove himself through the journey. He's done that not only in the boxing ring in my life, many other times as well. But funny thing is, <coughs> excuse me, funny thing is, interestingly, when I, when I, from when I heard him accept the fight, I was, I was like, oh, man, you got to be kidding me, right? You got to be kidding me. But as soon as I signed the contract for the fight, God gifted me with the gift of faith. He gave me faith. Faith isn't something we work up in ourselves. It's not manifest in the flesh. Faith is a gift of God. It's a gift. And, and he just gifted me with faith, and I knew I was going to win from that moment on. Now, fast forward about two and a half months of training and preparation, and we go out to San Inez, California, a Chumash Casino. We go into this 12-round war, and, and two rounds into it, very early on in the fight, I begin to notice I was in way over my head. <laughs> I was in trouble, big trouble. You know, I was like, what did I, oh no, what did I do? I knew Courtney was bigger, meaner, stronger. I really, I knew I was going to be, get beat up and probably knocked out. And it wasn't going to happen like, you know, I wanted it to happen. If I'm going to get beat up and knocked out, I don't mind it so much if it's in the alley behind the church where nobody sees, right? What's the worst thing you have? You wake up and go home, you know? But look. This was going to happen on worldwide boxing television. That's the last thing I want to have happen. So anyway, I knew I was going to get probably beat up and knocked out. So I, I, I did the only thing I knew to do. I knew I was in a mess, and I needed saved. And I know the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I cried out to God right there in a boxing match. And I said, Lord God, this fight is going to be brutal. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. And Lord, I'm going to want to quit. I admitted my weakness to God. I knew quitting would enter my mind. And as soon as I said that, God, God spoke back in, in love and power. And he said, Ebo, if you don't quit, I'll do what you can't do. If you don't quit, I'll do what you can't do. Now, look, when I heard that, immediately I was filled with joy. I was filled with joy because I knew I was going to win, and I knew the win was going to come by knockout because I've never seen God leave a decision up to the judges. <laughs> That's not his style. That's not the way he rolls, right? So I'm like, man, yeah, I'm going to win by knockout. I was stoked, right? So I, but I wanted it to come quick and easy, right? Quick, easy victory. That's how we want everything in America, right? You know, Netflix and on-demand everything and TV dinner, you know, <laughs> microwave dinner, whatever. Quick and easy. 
So I started looking for every punch to be the last one. I was like, all right, Lord, you know, you're going to do this. You're going to spoon feed me like a baby. I went, just do it through a little jab. Watch this. I go, boom. Come on, Lord, just do it. You'll get all the glory. Boom. All right. I'll be reasonable, Lord. Maybe a left hand. Come on. You know, bang. Come on. And then I began to encourage the creator of the universe. You can do it, Jesus. Come on. You can do it. <laughs> Yeah, so I begin to encourage the creator of the universe. I wanted it quick and easy, but it wasn't, guys. After the fourth round, of court, he hit me with a, uh, a right hand that broke my jaw. Jaw broke in the fourth round. By about six or seven, my kidneys started hemorrhaging. I was internally bleeding. Uh, toward the end, both eyes got cut, swollen up, bleeding everywhere. After the 11th round, we gave up on fancy footwork. We gave up on hand speed. We gave up on the rope dope Look, I had nothing left. Totally beaten, just, just brutally beaten. And after the 11th round, my corner began to pray for me. My trainer said, Lord, give him strength to do whatever he has to do. They prayed that. I don't know if they knew why, but they prayed that because I had no idea what I had to do at that moment. I honestly thought I was going to have to die in the 12th round and I'd be resurrected from the dead on Showtime. <laughs> and I'm not even joking. I really, I was like, Lord, if I got to die, so be it. It would be awesome to get resurrected from the dead on Showtime. <laughs> but look, man, this is where we live. We live in the 11th round, right? We don't get to see the 12th round. That's why we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't get to see next week or next month or next year. But this is the way it works. Look, God rewarded my commitment to his calling in the first 11 rounds. He rewarded that in the 12th. He will reward your surrenderedness to him this week, next week. He'll reward your obedience to him this year Next year. And that's the principles of reaping and sowing, man. Three, three principles for you note-takers. First, you reap what you sow. You always reap after you sow. And you always reap more than you sow. So, you know, I didn't know what I had to do, but I knew I couldn't quit. I knew I couldn't give up because God made that promise in the second round. If you don't quit, I'll do what you can't do. Now, interestingly, also, that 11th round, I had really nothing left. I mean, I, physically, emotionally, psychologically, I mean, I was, I was just to the end of my rope, and um, I had nothing left, and I had nothing to offer, nothing really to bring to the table, and, you know, that's, that's exactly where we are concerning our salvation. You know, I figured it would be appropriate on Easter Sunday to talk a little bit about the gospel. You know, um, we bring nothing to the table when it comes to salvation. We have nothing to offer to earn our salvation. Too many people believe that we can earn salvation. We can do enough good or be good enough to somehow earn salvation. I was in um, Newport uh, Beach, California recently and uh, ran into a girl at a Tesla showroom. And uh, she said she was Catholic. And um, I said, cool, man. Well, uh, let me just kind of get down to brass tacks. You know, how do you end up going to heaven? <laughs> she... <laughs> And she said, well, you know, I think you got to be good. You know, do, do good to people and you can go to heaven and do the best you can do. And, and I said, well, if you can get to heaven by doing good, how much good do you have to do to get to heaven? 
And she started thinking, like just logical thinking, you know, and, I, and how much good do I have to do? And she got done thinking for about 20 seconds. He's like, you know, I don't know. And I said, look, you can't do enough good to erase the sin of your past. You can't do enough to good to erase the sin of your present or your future. You can't do enough good. Would a good judge ever pardon a murderer because they volunteered at the YMCA one time? <laughs> Would a good judge pardon Hitler for, you know, helping an old lady go across the street one time? <laughs> now, of course, that was pretty extreme, wasn't it? Look, <laughs> my fight name was the Extreme Machine, so <laughs> that's the way it is. Uh, <laughs> But you get the point. Our good does nothing to, to you know, erase or wipe away the sins of our past, present, and future. Our good earns us eternal treasure in heaven. You know, and God doesn't need our good. Our good, really, because it's all done with a degree of selfish motive, is still filthy rags to God. <laughs> That's a whole other message in itself. But, um, but we can't do anything to earn salvation. But God knew that. Here's the good news. He knew we couldn't do anything to help ourselves in our state of depravity, and we couldn't earn our way out of, the, uh, of sin and death. So he took on a human body. He tabernacled with us in a body of flesh that contains blood so that that blood could be shed in our place upon the cross. And simply by putting our faith in Jesus and the work of the cross, we could receive eternal life. That's the good news, baby. That's the good news. He took our place. He lived the life we couldn't live. And he, took the, he died the death we all deserved. And he said, hey, it's finished. It is finished. Paid in full. And now you can be justified, legally justified before God, the judge, by receiving the payment for your sins from Jesus Christ. Wow, that's so good, <laughs> so good. It's grace, it's mercy, unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. That's the good news. You're the problem with all, all world religions. I don't even consider Christianity a world religion. Christianity is the only God-made religion, by the way. It began in the garden. Whether you know, you know, a lot of people say that Christianity, you, you Google it or you Wikipedia, says that Christianity began with Jesus' ministry. Well, that what they forget is that Jesus didn't begin when he was born in a, in a uh, manger. That wasn't the beginning of Jesus. There was no beginning to Jesus. When did Christianity begin? To God, it had no beginning because God had no beginning, right? But it began, as far as humans are concerned, it began in the garden with Adam and Eve. And right there in Genesis chapter 3, I think 14 and 15, right there, God gives what is called the first gospel. I encourage you to check it out later. But right there, after the, the fall in the garden and, and Adam and Eve, they, they, you know, they, they uh, give in to temptation and whatnot. Uh, Adam, Adam gave in. Eve was deceived. And then it was Adam's fault, ladies. So I'm putting the blame on the man, me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the guys are like, man, be quiet. <laughs> but right there, God told Satan, he said, hey, you messed up, bro. You messed up. Look, 
through her offspring, through Eve's offspring, through the Jewish, the Messianic genealogy, I'm going to raise up a Messiah that's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel on the cross, but he's going to crush your head, man, and deal the fatal blow. <laughs> that's awesome, man. The first gospel right there. It's cool. I could go on and on about that, but anyway. The gospel. The price was paid for you when Jesus took your place on the cross and died in your place by putting faith in him. Eternal life is given by grace through faith. Not of your works, lest no man should boast. Wow. Well, in that 11th round, man, I really had nothing left. We have nothing to offer. I had nothing to offer. But I knew I couldn't give up. So I go into the 12th round, three minutes to go. You can do anything for three minutes, right? No. I expended all the energy I had in the first half of the round. A minute and a half to go. Courtney hit me with a big right hand, knocked me back into the ropes. My eye of the tiger just wouldn't relent. I went to throw a left hand, but it was caught behind one of the ropes. I started to go down. And as I started to go down, I knew it was over at that moment. It was over. All the dreams of victory, all the talk of what God's doing and all this, I knew it was over. I was at the end, man, the end. But I cried out to God. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, Lord, I'm about to get knocked out. I got nothing. (laughs) If I can stand up, I'm getting knocked out. I knew it. But I said, Lord, I didn't quit. Not only did I not quit, I didn't think about quitting from the very earliest moments when you made that promise. I haven't thought about quitting yet. And I can't encourage you enough to obey the teachings of Jesus when he says to take your thoughts captive. It's a military term. Um, It's it's in taking a soldier captive, a prisoner of war, take them captive. It's the same idea, same word, to take your thoughts prisoners. Don't let them control you because they will. Look, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man or woman thinks in their heart, so are they. But we don't think with our heart, do we? <laughs> no, we think with our mind. But the problem is when we, th- when we think on things and dwell on things, what do they do? They take a root in our heart, and that will dictate who we become, the way we think, our identity, our worldview, and so on and so forth. So the Bible says, look, to take those thoughts captive. It actually says things that are noble and pure and righteous and true and noteworthy, take those things and meditate on them. Fill your mind with them so that they'll take root in your heart and then your life will be based on a true reality instead of a false reality. We have to do that. I can't encourage you enough. That revolutionized my Christian walk a few years ago when I saw Proverbs 23, 7 and I I connected the dots between it getting root in my heart, man, and it just, it changed my life. So take all your thoughts, every thought you get, because Satan is the father of lies, right? He will feed you lie after lie after lie, and you have to filter that through the word of God, and if if it's not true, you take it captive and disregard it and meditate on the things that are true and praiseworthy. Well, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I haven't thought about quitting since you made that promise to me. I took those thoughts captive, right? I haven't thought about it. I'm not going to do it now. So I gathered together all the energy I possibly could, just enough to stand up. 
And when I stood up, something incredible happened. Power came into my body. And, you know, the commentator noticed it. He said, you know, Ebo's got a, a burst of steam. Yeah, man, that was my plan. Yeah. <laughs> Broken jaw, bleeding kidneys, 12th round, a minute to go. Why not? Burst of steam. <laughs> there was no burst of steam to be had, right? What they perceived as a burst of steam was, in fact, the Holy Spirit, the power, the spiritual power of God coming upon me. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word power is the word dunamis in the Greek. It's where we get the word uh, dynamic or even the word dynamite. It's a very powerful word. And, um, And the power of the Holy Spirit is available to every one of us. Everyone's put their faith in Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to you. Now get this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to every one of us. So when we, when we make excuses, you know, the Bible's clear. Look, God will never allow temptation too great for you to endure faithfully. He will never allow too great a situation you can endure faithfully. And we've got the power of the Holy Spirit there to receive by faith, to ask and receive by faith. So really, you know, when we're not faithful to the Lord, when we don't stay faithful to his calling in our life, it's not because we're unable, it's really because we're unwilling. It comes down to an issue of willingness because with God's commandments, with Jesus' commandments, are his enablements. His speech, when God spoke the universe, came into existence. Look, when he says to flee sexual immorality, he gave you the ability in saying it. Do you realize that? When he says, universe, be, bam, it is, right? right. And when he says to love your neighbor as yourself or love your neighbor as I have loved you, guess what? You now have the ability if you receive by faith and are willing to walk by faith. That's some pretty heavy stuff, but it's cool, right? We have all we need. We have all we need. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon me. 30 seconds later, the number four-ranked fighter in the world was knocked out. In my own strength, I was going to suffer a devastating defeat. In the strength that God provides, I had my greatest victory. Guys, the greatest mistake we can make is to try for the church of God to try to do the work of God apart from the power of God. We cannot do it. When we try to do ministry in the flesh... Look, you can do ministry in the flesh, and it appears though it produces fruit, but for lasting fruit, it must be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> can I get an amen? amen? Good, guys. That gives me time to cough anyway. <clears throat> Sorry. Holy Spirit came upon me. Courtney was knocked out. All I could do at that moment, you noticed it, all I could do was worship God. You know, There was not a worship leader in that casino, I assure you. There was no Christian music playing on the overhead speakers. But I I got a glimpse of God like never before. And all I could do was worship. It was my initial, unplanned, immediate just response to encountering God like never before. It was amazing. 
I'm sitting there worshiping God, praising God, thanking God, and, and the commentators begin to kind of, you know, jeer it a little bit. You know, it's great. He's praying for, his op- praying for God. He's praying for his opponent, blah, blah, blah. I didn't hear that, but God did. God led me to go over to Courtney. I got on one knee with Courtney. I said, Lord, I pray you'll make this loss for him a benefit like you did for me three years earlier, three and a half years earlier, that he would know that nothing of this world satisfies only a relationship with his creator. Reports were that Courtney went home and went to a a local church in Benton Harbor, Michigan, gave his life to the Lord. Amazing what God did. God heard my prayers. God, God saved Courtney. And here's the thing, guys. Nothing of this world satisfies. It's the point. It's the point every Christian needs to hear, right? Because even as a Christian, you've put your faith in Jesus, the work of the cross. Okay, I'm saved. But how oftentimes do we say, ooh, if only this, or hey, I need this to happen, or this person to be in my life, or this paycheck, or this, I need this, or this, or this. Look, I tell you, Jesus is enough, right? He's enough. He's all you need. Blaise Pascal was a French philosopher in the 1600s, and he said that every human being has a God-shaped void in their heart. A God-shaped void. Too oftentimes we go after other things, and he likened that to going to putting band-aids on mortal wounds. It's like your, you know, your aorta valve or in your, something in your heart's cut open, and you're ble- gashing blood out, and you're putting a little band-aid on it. And it's, it's okay for a, few, you know, a little while because sin is pleasurable for a season. But that season is short and the consequences are devastating from sin. Sin, you know, wages of sin is death. But, um, but nothing can satisfy. Nothing can fill that void but a relationship with Jesus. That's it. Nothing can. I prayed that for Courtney, looked in the camera, said, Jesus Christ has a plan for your life, given to it, and accept it. What an amazing night that God would, who am I that God is mindful of me, right? That's what the psalmist would say. Who is God, who am I that God thinks of me? Think about that, the creator of the universe. The universe, scientists estimate, this is a pretty accurate estimation, (laughs) It's about 150 billion light years wide right now. It's expanding, but about 150 billion light years. That's traveling at 186,000 miles per second for 150 billion years to get from end to end. It's a long way. <laughs> okay, it's a really long way. And, uh, and 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 you know the Bible says that that the universe is the span of God's hand. And don't try to figure out how big God is. The point there is He's infinite. He's infinitely righteous, infinitely large, infinitely huge, infinitely good. He's all these things to an infinite power. But who are we that he would think of us? We're his kids. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are his kid, man. You're his son or his daughter. You're a a co-heir to the throne. Wow. That's rad, man. That is some awesome stuff. And he cares about the details of your life. Look, I've got, I've got kids, and I care about every detail of their life. Even stuff I really wouldn't care about, I still care about it. Studio Ghibli. You know anything about this? It's, it's Japanese animation artwork. My, my, my 15-year-old's an artist, and she loves Studio Ghibli. 
I really would have no interest in Studio Ghibli, but because she loves it, I dig it. <laughs> right? Look, the Lord is intimately acquainted with every detail of your life, every problem, every pain, every regret, every, every hope, every dream. He's intimately acquainted with it. Who are we? He would think of us, but he does. Pretty amazing. That night was the greatest comeback of my boxing career, no doubt. Great comeback. <laughs> but it wasn't the greatest comeback of my life. Now, I've got a good memory, people say, for being a boxer at least. Um, I remember 10th grade real well. First day of 10th grade, Mr. Sullivan's geometry class, trailer number three. I'm about two rows over and five seats back. That's a good memory. <laughs> 25 years ago. Wow. But I remember it so well because a girl walked in class. Her name was Amy White. Um, I knew her in first through fourth grades. Uh, we didn't go to middle school together, but that first day of 10th grade, man, she walks in. I told the guy sitting next to me, get out of that seat or I'll throw you out of the seat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Probably did say that because that was my BC days. But anyway, <laughs> dude, get up. Amy sits down, we start talking, we start dating soon after that. And by the way, I'm not endorsing dating, but that's for another message. Um, and uh, we go to both proms together, graduated high school. Three weeks after high school graduation, 18 years old, we got married. <laughs> it's crazy, man. We had a perfect future planned out. You know, I'm going to be a pro boxer. She's going to be a stay-at-home mom. We named all of our kids in high school. We had, a, we had a plan, you know. But here's where we made a big mistake. We both were aware that God had a plan. We knew he had a plan for us. Ephesians 2.10, you are his workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works that were prepared before you even existed that you should walk in them. Wow, Ephesians 2.10, man. Give it up for Paul and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's really the Holy Spirit, Paul. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but we knew God had a plan for us, but we wanted to do what we wanted to do. We would have never articulated it, but we believed we had a better plan. We wanted what we wanted. You know, the, the, flesh, the, the flesh is insatiable. You cannot satisfy the flesh. You can't. You know, and, and we thought we, you know, I don't know if we thought we could satisfy it, but we certainly tried, you know. We did what, we did what we made sense to us, what the average high school, junior, senior uh, does. And, um, and I'll tell you, man, the wages of sin is death. Satan hates you and he will use sin to destroy you. We get married, we'd push the Lord out of our life, we allowed Satan into our life, and immediately, the moment we got married, here's the interesting thing, Satan doesn't hate dating, he hates marriage, <laughs> right? Dating is not a picture of our union with Christ and a representation to the world of the gospel, marriage is. He was okay with us dating and living in sin. Things were great. Yeah, we love each other, man. We're having a good time. As soon as we got married, he wanted to destroy us. 
we were actually serving his purposes as a dating couple living in sin. We were serving him. But we get married and immediately target on our back. He hates us and he will ruin it. And he came to destroy, to kill, to kill, to kill, to kill, steal, and destroy. That is Satan's job description, guys. And he did. And um, a year and a half into it, most miserable year and a half of my life, of Amy's life, it was miserable. And I remember one day she called me. She said, Ebo, I, I, just, I can't live like this anymore. I can't live like this. You know, I filed for divorce. And I remember that moment, man. I, I recognized that void, Blaise Pascal. He talked about it. I saw that void in my life for the first time. I lost my wife. You know, immediately when I lost her, I realized I made a mistake. It's interesting how it works. You'll be deceived enough to make a mistake, and then you make the mistake, and the deception is removed. You're like, what did I do that for? Right? That's how it works. And um, I saw this void in my life. First, I, I did everything I could to get Amy back, and nothing worked. But then I saw that void, and I said, man, I got to fill it up. And I went into the world to try to fill the void. Drugs, cocaine, meth, ecstasy, marijuana, alcohol, abusing alcohol, uh, women and success and money. And I went after all those things. And the more I went after all of those things, the bigger the void got. The more empty I became, the more hopeless I was. Two years into our divorce, I reached the end of my rope. I reached the end of my rope. It's a great place to be, by the way, the end of your rope. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, it helps me relate to that. You want to think back in high school. In high school, we had spirit day. And spirit day was when you go to school dressed in your, you know, the, the team colors, and you got the mascot, and you're all running around you, and you're basically saying, hey, we can do it. That's spirit day in a nutshell. We can do it. I can do it. But to be poor in spirit is to say, I can't. (laughs) That's what it is. When you say, I can't do it, Lord. I need you. You know, I've often said that Christianity isn't thinking you need Jesus. It's knowing you can't live without him. That's where it's when you come to that place of brokenness and surrenderness and just knowing, I got nothing, man. <laughs> I got nothing. And that's where I was that where I was that night, but I I made a big mistake. I wish I cried out to Jesus, but I didn't. You know what I did? I said, if I can get Amy back, that'll be enough. I thought my one last ditch effort was to get Amy back into my life. So I found out where she was at. I went to her friend Katie's house. Katie came to the door. I begged with Katie to get Amy. She went and talked to Amy, came back, said, Amy doesn't want to see you. She told, told me to tell you to get out of her life and leave her alone. She shut the door. And I remember how I felt at that moment. My last resort had failed. So I went home, and, you know, at that moment in my life, everything looked perfect to my friends. I was 20 years old. I had 60 grand in the bank. I was the number two ranked amateur boxer in the world. I, uh, I had moderate fame through boxing. You know, I, I, I had a brand new car, brand new truck, brand new house. And I was 20 years old. And I was miserable. I really hated my life, man. I, I got home. I went and sat on the side of my bed. And um, 
began to analyze all the dreams I had, dreams of pro boxing, being a champion, being, being back in the ring. I knew I would never fight again. I had nothing, no, no, no drive, no determination. I began to think about Amy and the marriage we had, that, that, you know, we dreamed of, this family. I began to think about the kids, the names we had picked out. Imagine playing with them on a playground, pushing them on the swings, calling them by name. And I knew at that moment, those kids would never exist. I knew it. That family would never exist. That, that, those, all those dreams, had, they were pipe dreams, gone. I knew it. And I was ready to end my life. So I reached in the nightstand, pulled out a 40 caliber pistol, put it to my head. And as I started to pull the trigger, something amazing happened. I heard a still, small voice that said, Ebo, if you don't quit, I'll do what you can't do. If you don't give up right now, if you'll just turn to me, if you'll quit trying to do it your way, if you'll surrender, I'll restore all the worm has eaten. I'll repair all the locust has destroyed. If you'll just look to me. And at that moment, man, hope came back into my life. For the first time in a long time, I finally had hope. I put the gun down. And I began doing something right there. I want to encourage you guys in. I began taking steps towards Jesus. Steps. We're not called to high jump with Jesus or hurdle with Jesus. Thankfully, that's difficult we're called to walk a step at a time and as maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus you've got to say hey God if you're real Jesus if you're who you say you are what's my next step maybe you're here today you've been walking with Jesus for years you need to say hey Jesus what's my next step because we never reach the finish line in this life there's always another step to take but to say, Lord, what's my next step? And then to take it. And that's what I started doing. And it wasn't long before I saw that I was actually walking with God. And I didn't have to just believe in God. I actually get to know him. There's a big difference. I used to believe in Santa Claus. I never knew him. When you know God, there is no shaking that. No shaking it to convince me that Jesus isn't who he says he is and the God of the Bible isn't all the Bible says it is and that would be like convincing me that my wife doesn't exist good luck (laughs) but I started walking with the Lord and guess what God is faithful he began to work in my life he put me back into boxing he took me to number 5 world ranking. Yeah, I don't know how you beat the number four guy and they make you number five or whatever. I'll let it go. (laughs) He gave me three championship belts. He put me on a reality show in 2006 called The Contender. In January 2007, he called me out of boxing and threw me into a life of ministry. (laughs) His ways are not our ways, man. Wow. His ways are much, much higher. Yeah. Soon after that, he began working on Amy's heart, that girl that had given up. He softened her heart. He gave her hope. She came back into my life. We just celebrated. April 14th, we celebrated um, 18 years remarried. 
<laughs> it's so cool, man. Just just the other day, I went on went on my Facebook page and and I put, we got married at 18 years, divorced at 20, remarried at 22. Now for 18 years, we've been married now as long as we were alive the first time we got married. Huh? <laughs> Crazy. And those kids, we had names picked out for. We got them too, by the way. <laughs> we got Maddie, Abby, Gabby, and Addie. <laughs> yeah. Four little girls. Four little girls. I talked to them earlier. got to FaceTime a little bit with them as they're getting ready for church this morning in Tennessee. And saw their little dresses and... What is impossible with man is possible with God. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, man. But look, amen. Sorry, I'm not emotional. <laughs> I'm not emotional. Come on. <laughs> so we, we come here today and we celebrate the greatest comeback, the comeback, Jesus, resurrection from the dead. Defeating sin and death, saving us from our sins, giving us the promise of eternal life. We come to celebrate the greatest comeback in all of eternity. But I want you to know your greatest comeback is not a comeback in the boxing ring, not on the football field like Tim Tebow does, or you know, or or you know, in, in any industry or form of life. You know, your greatest comeback is simply coming back to Jesus. That's all it is. That's the greatest comeback you could ever have. And then you get to share in the victory that he offers all of his kids. I want to give you that opportunity this morning to just come back to Jesus. Truly, it's a comeback for all of us, no matter where we're at. You know, the Bible says that we were created in Christ Jesus, but we were born into sin. Isn't that interesting? I could go a long way with that, you know. <laughs> but we were created, everyone, every human was created in Christ Jesus. But they were born into sin. We were born separated from God by the seed of Adam, the inherently evil nature we all have. Look, people have argued, Ebo, we're, we're inherently good. No, we're not. Have you ever seen a baby come out of the womb? They are mad. <laughs> they are angry. Look, if they were any bigger, everybody would be dead. You know? It's, it's, they're ticked off. You took them out of their home in the warm, you know, place, whatever. <laughs> the womb. You took them out of their home. Created in Christ Jesus, born in sin. We, we all need to come back. It might be your first time. Maybe you were invited to church this morning because it's Easter, you decided to come. Look, you need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to put your faith and trust in Him as, as the only way to the Father and be adopted into the family of God. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord your whole life, but look, we all got to come back every day. The Bible says that Daily we take up our cross. Daily we deny ourselves. 
So I'm just going to ask you, well, maybe it's a good time just to make a profession of faith. First time, hundredth time, first, you know, whatever. I put my faith in Jesus and the work of the cross. He is my hope. Can we do that together? If you'd like to make that profession, will you raise your hand with me? Amen. 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 And Lord, we come to you now, hands raised. Lord, our faith is in you because you're the only one who is worthy. You're the only one who is able. You're the only one who does not grow weary. You're the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And you rule over the universe. Lord, we put our faith in you. We ask you to come upon us in power, Holy Spirit. Come upon us that we could live a life that brings you glory, brings you honor, and produces fruit. Use us as witnesses to the world. We pray and we receive your power by faith. Lord, I pray for every person in here today that is enduring difficulty and struggle and pain and heartache. Lord, you are our comforter. You are the healer of broken hearts. So I ask you, Lord, to touch each person in here today. Touch their heart, touch their life, and comfort them. And Jesus, now we want to once again thank you for the price you paid for us. You lived a sinless life and you died a sinner's death. And you died a brutal death, Lord, that that, that you've not asked us to do. You've only asked us to live for you. Not to die for you, but to live for you. So Lord, help us to live for you. Thank you for all you've done for us. You deserve the glory and the power and the honor forever. We pray it all in your name. Amen.